Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is heard on these fine EWTN radio affiliates. 99.7 FM, Jamestown, North Dakota. 88.5 FM, Roswell, New Mexico. And 102.7 FM, Lubbock, Texas. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. And we are coming to the conclusion of this marvelous, marvelous season. It's not ended yet, but we're getting close to the conclusion of this marvelous season of the Paschal season. It will culminate in a great feast of Pentecost, that great feast where we celebrate the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles, which, of course, as always, is not just a history lesson. It's not something that happened to other people in the past but it is the descent of the Spirit upon us, upon the church, and we enter into that mystery as though it were happening this moment. In fact, it is happening this moment because the things of the church, the things of the scripture, especially within the church, and it's the church's liturgy and sacramental life, these all transcend time. They are timeless. But speaking of time, in time, later this year, you have a chance to go with me and also a good friend of ours here at Light of the East, Jeff Gardner from Picture Christians Project. You can go with me to the Holy Lands. We're going to encounter Christ and the persecuted Christians of Iraq, a Holy Land pilgrimage with an optional extension to the country of Jordan, where you can actually meet face-to-face some of our persecuted brethren. This trip will take place Sunday, October 18th through Wednesday, October 28th. To find out more about it, all the details, go to selectinternationaltours.com. Selectinternationaltours.com. That's, again, Sunday, October 18th through Wednesday, October 28th of this year, 2015. Go to selectinternationaltours.com. This is Sunday in the liturgical calendar in which we observe a very, very significant council. The first one, in fact, the Council of Nicaea, 
This is a Sunday of the Fathers of the First Council of Nicaea. It happened in 325 AD. We've got a number of things going on this week as we come to the big ending of the Paschal season. And we have also the Feast of St. Constantine and Helen, and also the Fifth All Souls Saturday. The Sunday begins with the observance of the Fathers of the First Ecumenical Council. And I'm going to read a couple of lines from one of these classic books here at Light of the East that we often recommend and refer to. It's the Liturgical Year of the Byzantine Slavonic Rite by Father Basil Sheregi. And in this book, he explains the council this way. It says, This Sunday recalls the victory of the true faith over its enemies and affirms the importance of the first ecumenical council held in Nicaea, in 325 AD. The council convened by the first Christian emperor, Constantine the Great, with the sanction of Pope Sylvester I. It lasted two months and 12 days. Now, I want to stop there for a second and point something out here. First of all, you have, I like to call it the good old days, where people would argue and fight about the natures of Christ. Now it's about who's going to win the Stanley Cup or politics and so on. What party do you belong to? But back then, not that I advocate fighting, but at least the subject of conversation and of argument was matters of faith. In fact, they got so heated in the time of Constantine in the Byzantine Empire that a council had to be called to settle the matter. And the matter at hand was, as always, having to do with the Trinity or some person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this case, the Council of Nicaea was dealing with a heresy taught by a man named Arius that had to do with the natures of Christ, which basically what Arius was saying is that Jesus Christ was not, in fact, equal to God. In other words, he was not fully divine. He was human, but not fully divine. And this created a great uproar as well it should. Again, not that I'm advocating violence and fighting, but a good kind of uproar was in order because this is a very, very significant teaching. All the teachings about the Trinity are foundational. From there, everything else flows, everything. So you have to get the Trinity right, and you have to get every person, each of the three persons of the Trinity, which of course is still one God, you've got to get them right. If you get one wrong, you get the other one wrong. And I'll prove that to you. You get other things wrong as well. In fact, some of the proof is articulated in the liturgical texts for this Sunday, where we sing this at the Vesper service on Saturday evening. Who has severed your garment, O Savior? It was Arius who divided the Trinity. Who is equal in glory and eternal majesty? For he denied that you are one of the most holy Trinity. He taught the transgressing Nestorius to say that the virgin is not the mother of God. But the counts of Nicaea proclaimed you as the Son of God, who is enthroned with the Father and the Spirit. Now you notice the Arian heresy about the nature of Christ gave rise to another heresy. This one was perpetuated by a man named Nestorius. And basically what he was saying is that the Virgin Mary did not give birth to the person who was also God. So she could not be called the mother of God. Well, council corrected this as well. But you see how one led to the other. And it indicates this in the liturgical texts, where again, I read it. It was Arius who divided the Trinity, who was equal in glory and eternal majesty. For he denied that you are one of the most holy Trinity. He taught the transgressing Nestorius to say that the virgin is not the mother of God. In other words, the Nestorian heresy grew out of the Arian heresy. Because again, if you don't have one person of the Trinity correct, 
you get the other aspects of the Trinity incorrect as well, and also aspects of the mother of God, and therefore of the entire faith, the entire body of truth goes wrong in every way, all the way down to some very, very practical considerations, which we'll get to in just a moment here. I want to finish reading from our friend, Father Basil Shedegui, and I also want to point out as well that the Pope, Pope Sylvester, sanctioned this council, although it was called by the emperor. And it's interesting because in the Eastern churches, historically, it was an emperor who had to call a council, even though the council was for church matters. So Constantine called this council, and it was sanctioned by Pope Sylvester. Now, here's another example where East and West work together, where the Pope of Rome, the Bishop of Rome, and the heads of the Eastern churches, the Patriarch of Constantinople, and even the Emperor, were not at odds with each other. There was, this was long before the Great Schism. So we can see how there was this cooperation, and not only that, but this preeminent place that the Pope had. It's very important when we come to ecumenical discussions between East and West, because as you probably know, one of the big sticking points is the place or the jurisdiction, that the reach of the jurisdiction of the Pope of Rome. This is a very big, important point to the Orthodox. However, when you look at things historically, we have to be reminded that the Pope had a very significant role and was seen that way even by the Eastern churches. All right, I'll continue on then. The Council lasted two months and 12 days. About 250 bishops were present. Hosius, Bishop of Cordoba, attended as legate of the Pope. To this council, we owe the Nicene Creed, the defense of the divinity of the Son of God against the heresy of Arius, and the fixing of the date for Easter. So, once again, we have this importance of a teaching or understanding, or therefore misunderstanding, of who exactly is Jesus Christ. Who is the person of the Trinity? How do we have a God who is three individual persons, yet one God? Very significant. In this case, as I mentioned, we're talking about the natures of Christ. Now, why that is significant in the concrete is because it has to do with the one great mystery. The one great mystery is the incarnation. In other words, where God, the invisible God, actually incarnated, entered into the earthly, the created reality that he himself set in order. In other words, the creator becomes the creature while remaining the creator. That is called the great mystery and for good reason, because everything flows from that. First of all, redemption, the world, creation, especially human person, had to be redeemed. And the only way it could Ultimately, ultimately be redeemed is when God himself would take on that created matter, whether it was a piece of dust or a human being. He took it all on. He incarnated himself into his entire creation and therefore was able to lift it up, restore its dignity, redeem creation, and in particular, the human person. So that's the first reason why we have to know and assert that this incarnation was, in fact, the reality of God becoming his own creation while remaining God. So that's the other part of it. It's important. While remaining God. He wasn't moving from place to place. He was entering into a reality while still maintaining his divine, eternal, spiritual reality. Now, that becomes very important also because when we see created matter, especially the human person, we see that God took on the nature 
of his own creation, but in particular the human person, that then determines how we see and relate to the human person. This is what helps to give that great dignity to the human person, that God took on our nature. That means that all human beings participate in God by our very nature, and that we reveal God. So that should then determine our behavior. In other words, whether we do harmful things, whether we hurt and do evil to the human person, or whether we see that human person as valuable, precisely because God took on that human nature. We apply that to all of creation as well. We don't pollute the earth. We respect the earth. The earth is sacramental. We take that sacramental view to the earth, and most especially to the human person. It makes all the difference in the world whether we believe correctly in who Jesus Christ was, that he was both divine and human, one person in two natures. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by writing a check to Light of the East and mail it to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. 60491. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net.
Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host, and I want to remind you about something you're going to be hearing a lot more about, and that is my trip together with a good friend of ours here at Light of the East, Jeff Gardner, who is with Picture Christians Project. By the way, I advise you to go check that out. Go to picturechristians.org, picturechristians.org. He and I are leading a pilgrimage to the Holy Lands to encounter Christ and the persecuted Christians of Iraq. It's Sunday, October 18th through Wednesday, October 28th of this year, 2015. To find out more, all the details, go to selectinternationaltours.com, selectinternationaltours.com. Now, this is a pilgrimage to the Holy Lands, but there's an added option to go into the country of Jordan to encounter our persecuted Christian brethren. That should be pretty exciting, pretty memorable, if you choose to do that part. As I mentioned, that's an optional add-on, and information, again, can be acquired at selectinternationaltours.com. Well, we mentioned this Sunday is a Sunday of the First Ecumenical Council of Nicaea, and why it was significant to have hammered out the true teachings of, above all, the Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity individually, but also, of course, as one God. In this particular case, it was a heresy about Christ. Many of the heresies are about Christ in one way or another because of this phenomenon that's, yes, it is very hard to understand. It, it is a mystery. That's why it's called the great mystery. How does an invisible God become human? How does he become something which he is not, but remaining what he is? And if he, who is God, who is superior to all things, becomes human, does that necessarily lower him as God? Or conversely, does it make his human nature now divine till he's only divine? These are all the questions that were addressed during the early centuries of the church, and very, very rightly so. Because what extends from them is the determination of everything else we believe, everything. In fact, one of the very poignant examples of why this is significant is something we're seeing in our time in this whole crisis with Islam, especially the extremists, groups like ISIS and so on. The behavior, this ideology, ultimately can be traced back to the fact that there was a rejection of the true nature, the true teaching of Jesus Christ. That's actually what Islam was based on. Islam is actually related to other Christian heresies. That is the fact of the matter. As you probably know, Islam does not accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Messiah. They respect him as a great prophet, but that's all. Now, that's going to determine, then, what you believe about a lot of things, especially what you believe about the human person. And one of the most important and significant things that's going to drop out of that consideration is how we see the dignity of the human person. The reason why we have some of the atrocities that we hear about from groups like ISIS and Islam extremists, it can be traced back to this fundamental error in belief about Jesus Christ. Because without that belief, basically, you ultimately can end up doing whatever you want to other human beings, to creation, to anything in life. Everything. I can't emphasize it enough. And I do so especially as a Byzantine priest, a Byzantine Catholic, because these teachings of the Trinity were extremely important to us. We do everything in light of the Trinity because we know that you have to get those things right because everything else emanates out from there. So these councils that hammered out the true teaching against the heresies are absolutely relevant to us today. They can actually explain the acts of terrorism from Muslim extremists, believe it or not. 
They can explain a lot of things too. Basically, they can explain anything that's wrong, especially any kind of inhumanity between human beings. can all go back to whether we believe the right way about God, about the created order, and about the human person. So, once again, this is an example, as I often tell my people at Annunciation Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, I often tell them that when we celebrate these liturgical feasts in the church, as we do today, these council fathers who lived many centuries ago, and when we hear the gospel lessons, what's very, very important to understand, and the liturgy helps us to understand it by all the liturgical text, we have to understand that this is not history. I mean, yes, it's a historical occurrences, but the point is not history. This is more than history. This is our story. This is relevant in this moment and for all time. The matters of liturgy, the matters of the church, the matters of scripture transcend time. They are timeless. And that's why it is so significant to enter into the life of the church. In especially the Byzantine liturgical life, one of the hallmarks of our prayer is this dogmatic hymnody. In other words, we sing our belief, our theology. That becomes our prayer, becomes our chant. Our chant and prayer becomes theology. And what we do in a lot of those liturgical texts is we remind ourselves of the truth of our faith and we remind ourselves about our relationship with God and who God is and who we are in relation to God. And the liturgical texts then help to draw us into these mysteries, even though some of these events may have happened centuries ago, they draw us into these mysteries to make them present to us now. Because even now, heresies, like we're talking about today, the Arian heresy, for which this Council of Nicaea was called to combat, these heresies actually get recycled. They do. They get defeated, but they pop up not so much as theological heresies as they did centuries ago, but they pop up in other forms. They usually pop up in the secular world, in secular kinds of attitudes that come about largely because the secular ethos is not rooted correctly in the right belief about God and the human person and the incarnation, because those are the things that make all the difference in the world. Got a couple other great things coming up this week as well. It's amazing how often one week is so packed with things, so many great events and liturgical observances. One of those, in addition to the Council of Nicaea, is the celebration of Saints Constantine and Helen. Constantine, of course, was the emperor of the Byzantine Empire, and he brought Christianity to that land. And that's how I get the name of my particular church, the Byzantine Catholic Church. It's because of Byzantium when it became Christianized. And, of course, he changed the name. Constantine changed it to Constantinople. So a little bit of information on that feast day. And again, we turn to another great text and that is the Synaxarian, or also called the Prologue from Ocrid. Every family should have this. It's really informative. Constantine's parents were the Emperor Constantius Chlorus and the Empress Helena. Chlorus had further children by another wife, but by Helena, he had only the one, Constantine. Now, Constantine fought two great battles when he came to the throne, one against Maxentius, a tyrant in Rome, and the other against Licinius, not far from Byzantium. At the battle against Maxentius, when Constantine was in great anxiety and uncertainty about his chances of success, a shining cross surrounded by stars appeared to him in the sky in full daylight. 
On the cross were written the words, In this sign conquer. The wandering emperor ordered that a great cross be put together, like the one that had happened and appeared in the sky, and he carried it before the army. By the power of the cross, he gained a glorious victory over enemies, greatly superior number. And Maxentius drowned himself in the Tiber. Immediately after this, Constantine issued the famous Edict of Milan in 313 to put an end to the persecution of Christians. Conquering Byzantium, he built a beautiful capital city on the Bosphorus, which from this time was named Constantinople. Of course, Constantinople today is now known as Istanbul. So we have a great feast of Saints Constantine and Helen, and they were also responsible for a lot of the sites that we know and we will see on my trip to the Holy Lands because they authorize churches and various kinds of sacred markers to be built over the spot of the different events in the scripture and the, the different biblical sites. We can thank the Byzantines for a lot of what we know about the scriptures in the Holy Lands even to this day. I want to thank you for listening. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Now you can hear podcasts of Light of the East and never miss a program or hear one again and again and again. How is this possible, you may ask? Just visit ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And click on the Light of the East tab. There you'll find Light of the East programs for listening or download and a link to a Light of the East iTunes subscription. Now, you can hear Light of the East for the first time all over again, anytime you want. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. <laughs>